0: Welcome everyone to Business Growth On Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino, I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive, and it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome to our new series, 20 Questions, where we dive into the top sales and marketing pain points we hear from B2B owners. If your sales and marketing have been stalled, it's time to break through with these 20 questions. Now to your host, Jose Palomino. Welcome everyone to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. I'm your host, Jose Palomino. I'm the founder and CEO of Value Prop, and we work with business owners almost always in the B2B space, in the small to mid market, two to $25 million in revenue that are stuck. When they're stuck, they've hit a plateau and they wanna break through it, that's when we come in. We come in with some really quick and and, uh, detailed analysis on the front end to understand why you're stuck and how to get unstuck and what to focus on and then help people through that process. So we've been doing this a long time, uh, well over 15 years, dozens and dozens of B2B companies we've worked with, several all the way through to where they've successfully exited as well. Uh, so good, happy success stories there. And if you ever want to see some of our work, you go to valueprop.com forward slash, uh, forward slash successes, and you'll see some of that. So as we launched our show a couple of years ago, and we're getting close to episode 300 now, Uh, We wanted to interview people who really knew a lot about the things that needed to be done to grow a business, whether that was marketing, SEO, analytics, uh, sales process, sales approach, mindset, those kinds of things. And as if you've been following the show for a while, you know I also take the time to carve out a couple of episodes to speak directly to you about things based on all the experience we've developed doing this always with the mind towards what we call our tagline is business growth on purpose. What that means is business growth done intentionally, things you can do, levers you can pull, decisions you can make to make growth happen. Uh, It's not just riding the tide. Yes, that's part of it. We can't control the waves, uh, but we can control how we navigate those waves. And so over those years, we've been asked a lot of questions. And uh, so we said, let's think about questions. We can ask some detailed questions all in the marketing realm. We're going to do a similar series in a while on sales process. But this is really about marketing, big M, strategy, strategic marketing, and the practical everyday things that are involved in marketing, things you might actually put a budget against. And we actually went on a chat GPT. and We asked uh, also, we said, hey, what are some top questions business owners are asking of marketers all the time? Compile the list of top 20. Prior to episodes, we covered 10 questions so far. We'll cover five on this episode and five on another episode. And if, as you listen, you think, well, wait a second, there's something I disagree with. Or there's something I actually uh, think should also be covered. I'd like to hear what Jose has to say about this and what his experience and Value Props experience has been in this arena. Uh, anything like that, just drop me a line. You could always reach me at josevalueprop.com. At If you want to talk to me about your business, about the possibility of us working together, just go to JosePalomino.com, and that brings up my scheduler, and uh, we can have an initial discovery conversation and see if there's chemistry there, if I understand your your issues, and I think it's something we can help you with. And if you have any questions of us, how we work, uh, our approach, all of that, happy to answer those questions as well. So let's get to it. So we're going to start our episode now. These are top questions that business owners ask of B2B marketers. And this is the next set of five. Here we go. Uh, What are the best practices? Next question we're answering. This is the 11th question in our overall series. What are the best practices for creating and promoting B2B webinars or events? Some best practices for creating B2B webinars or events. So I love webinars. We do quite a number of them ourselves. We do a lot of video content as well. Uh, webinars are real opportunity to deliver some real value in a way that lets people know that you really know what you're talking about. So what a webinar is not as effective at in, in, in the b 2 B2B context is just telling people about how good you are. It, it shouldn't feel like a 40-minute commercial. It should feel like you're actually digging into a topic. And so you should ask your customers, hey, what would you, if we were to talk about stuff that you see us do, what would you like us to comment on to maybe some best practices we could share with you. Anything like that makes a webinar worth watching. The other thing is record your webinar, put it up on your website later, unless you're gonna make money with knowledge. In other words, you sell, you're an expert and you wanna sell expertise. For the most part, your webinars can be kind of evergreen on your website, allowing people to see you. Uh, If it's recorded, it can be put up on YouTube. It could be put up on all your social channels and so on. So one of the best practices is make your webinar retrievable, make the effort that goes into it something that is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, uh, I have a client that does a breakfast meeting, I think, every other week. Uh, They deal primarily in the legal community, and they help people around some administrative and financial issues in running a practice. And so they do this It's like a 45-minute session, a little bit of open Q&A. They'll get 10, 15 people every time. And people don't attend the webinar, and that's the other best practice. Don't expect a webinar to immediately convert into business. Again, unless you sell a knowledge product, that that's your purpose for your webinar. But instead, what you're trying to do with a webinar is set yourself apart, especially if you're in a category where there's a lot of competition. It's one way to set yourself apart. It's one way to educate your customers. It's certainly a way to put yourself in the best light. Now, as far as presenting a webinar, not everybody is a, is a comfortable speaker or some people wanna just have a lot of slides. I'd say a combination is good. Like if you are the owner or you're the head of sales, make yourself shown on the camera like I'm doing now in this episode, and then you can share some slides. Uh, basic rules of PowerPoint presentations apply. Uh, don't make them very word heavy. Bullets, three or four on a slide that you then speak to, you add value to. In other words, the rules of an effective webinar are very similar to if you were making a presentation. You don't want to kill people by death by PowerPoint. So it should be interesting. And this will be true of events, too, if you're speaking at an event and so on. Leave them wanting more. So one of the things you want to do is say, okay, at the end of this session, what do I want my audience to know? What do I want them to know? What one central thought do I really want to get across? If it's I want them to think I'm somebody they should call right away, you're actually not going to get there by aiming that as your goal. But rather, you're going to show them something about how to calibrate a piece of equipment how to, uh, a best practice in something they might do in sales, something they might do in accounting, whatever your profession or your service are, is, make sure that you are communicating something that's useful in that context. So I think those are some basic best practices. There's a whole other set of things you could do in terms of setting up a webinar and the technology and so on. Uh, Zoom is fine. You don't need some of the other platforms unless you really know you're gonna get a very big audience. Uh, as far as Q&A, you can say, hey, use the chat. If you have any questions, I'll be watching it. And if I can answer it during the session, I will or at the end. Definitely leave room for a and a Think of a few questions you've been asked, maybe not on that webinar, but in other interactions you've had with customers. So in case you have people that kind of are on the webinar but aren't really the type of folks that want to key in a question or ask you a question, You could actually just uh, refer to, well, you know, in the past, or I've been asked, or here's a question from Larry, and it really is a question from Larry, just that Larry's not on your webinar right now. It's in bounds because the question is to really pull out from what what people want to know and giving you an opportunity to answer them. So question 12 in our series, and this is a big one, right? How can I improve my B2B branding and messaging to stand out? Well, this gets to the heart of what we've done with Value Prop, right? Why we started the company Value Prop, why well, I wrote the book Value Prop. It's on Amazon. Literally, Value Prop, Palomino. You'll find the book, and uh, it's all about really communicating to your target audience. So, first of all, you have to know your target audience. So, the first way you stand out is know who you want to stand out for, and then think about what is it that answers this question. Why should anyone buy X from you at Y price? Let me break that down. So, X is how do you describe what you offer? What is it? Is it a drill? Is it a hole making machine? Is it you have a series of tools? So, it's so then tools are what? Homemaking tools? Are they tools for professional contractor tools? And so on. So, why should anyone know who that anyone is? It's not anyone in the broad world, it's anyone in your target market. By X, what is it you sell from you? So you may offer a really powerful drill that goes through masonry and wood and everything, and contractors love it. Well, There's a lot of other people who sell drills too. So you have to say what you did with your drill, why your expertise uh, made by contractors for contractors, that kind of language can really help people say, oh, these people appreciate and understand uh, our world. And that's really uh, very powerful. And at why price? So you may want to charge a premium. You say, we do it better. Well, you have to answer that why question. Why should that anyone in your target audience buy the drill from you at the price you're asking for it? So that isn't what you necessarily write on your website as your message, but you have to have the answer to that question so that you can develop the branding, the messaging you want. So some of the simple rules of branding is uh, make sure you're most appealing to your best possible target audience. So if you're selling in a service that you really focus on people in the entertainment industry, you might have a certain color scheme, a certain font scheme. If you're aiming for young people, very young people, Generation Z as your market, then you have to have a look and feel that feels like it's of a now happening thing. I don't mean that it has to be weirdly cloying, aiming at just that little tiny age demographic, but it should just feel like it's comfortable for them at that point. Uh, If you sell a very serious legal service, then it should not look clowny and entertaining. It should look serious, but it could have, uh, it could be serious with a lighter tone. I mean, there's ways to do this. So again, when it gets to branding, like the real uh, visual elements and even copywriting, which is the messaging, Um, unless you're really good at it or committed to learn it, there are professionals that you could hire to help you do that. But here's my advice to you. Before you hire anybody, before you farm out any of this, know, airtight, know the answer to that question. Why should anyone, parentheses, in your target market, buy X? And how do you describe what X is, your product, your service? From you, why you're uniquely and specifically uh, a good idea to buy X from you at the price you want, that you've actually aligned it to the market, that you are premium. If you're premium, if you're the low-cost provider, that's not always going to be the best position for you. But answer those questions, and then the branding and messaging will be much easier to construct on top of that. That's the foundational thought. So question 13 in our series. What role does marketing automation play in B2B marketing and how can I implement it? That's a big question. So, marketing automation used to be thought of as just a platform like HubSpot that would actually send out emails in sequence. And then things like ClickFunnels, which is mostly used by people who sell knowledge products, that basically, depending on how you responded to one thing you download, puts you in a different sequence, you get another different five emails. And you get to another link and so on. It's it, it, Think of it as cascading funnels, all leading you to different decisions, a decision to do something for free, decision to take action, a decision to buy something. And so ultimately, marketing automation is saying all those activities, we'd like to put them someplace where we can manage it more readily. But if you're in a small to midsize market, that sounds like a lot. And it is. It's a lot to implement. You could spend a ton of money on it. So if you're a big company, you there are bigger platforms than HubSpot that help you do that. But reality is you need a couple of things if you're in B2B. One, you should have a CRM of some sort. HubSpot, perfectly fine. Copper is another one. Uh, these are things that just help you keep track of leads. There's others. Uh, Constant Contact has a, ver- a one, I think it's called SharpSpring, that they use. Um, these are all priced much more comfortably than something like Salesforce, which is a huge platform, very big, very convoluted, very appropriate for a bigger company. Not so much if you're like a five-person company or you have two salespeople and and two people in leadership who have to watch it. So think about the right size tool. Many of them let you try it out for free, but you're not going to learn enough there. What you really want is to Find if you can in your circles. If you're in a peer group or any kind of uh, business roundtable, who's doing it? Find out how they liked it, how the implementation's gone. If uh, you'll probably hear what I've heard a lot of is like, "Oh, we made this investment in X platform, and I can't wait for the for it to expire because we're canceling it because it's a big waste of money." Well, it's not that it's a bad technology or a waste of money. It's unless you put the human capital behind it to take advantage of it. It's a waste of money. All right. So it's like if you have a delivery truck that costs you $75,000, but you don't make the ice cream to deliver and you don't have people who want to buy the ice cream as you deliver it, bad example, but just to illustrate the point, then it's a waste of money to spend $75,000 on a delivery truck. But if you are making the ice cream and you have customers on a route who are willing to pay for it, then it makes sense. So what's the analogy here? How does it work out in marketing automation? Simply put, you have to think of the tasks that are repetitive tasks that you're committed to do and if it can do it more easily for you. So there are platforms that will help you stay in touch on social media. There are platforms that will certainly control email, that will even track your phone calls. There's no lack of technology that will do just about all of those things. Here's what I think you need to do if you're a small company, by and large. CRM, some way that you can record Critical information on conversations you're having, or somebody's having on your team with prospects and customers, that actually lets you create what's called an opportunity. If you're in the kind of business that you sell deals, you you know you work a deal and you sell it, and that you can track the relative value of those deals over time. You do that in a spreadsheet, but a CRM makes it a lot easier, and it also makes it more visible to other people in your organization. Secondly, email, not just your Outlook or your Gmail, uh, but some automated email messages. And I strongly suggest that you have what's called like an order in the old days, they call them auto responders, that you get an email address. It goes into the database and they start receiving message one, two, three, four. And if you create 26 messages, you can have a year. Every other week they get a message automatically. And everybody new, maybe downloads a PDF from your site, gets added to the list. They can opt out, of course. You do everything properly with any of the platforms like um, MailChimp and so on. And they will get an email. And those emails we've talked about in one of the other answers to this series about what you go on the email. But the point is that is simple. You can do that. That gets you started. Bigger platforms have a lot more power but they are also massively more complex to take, to get a, uh, value from. And you must commit to the time to take advantage of it. So there's definitely a purport, uh, like an inverse re, a relationship between uh, little investment of your time. Well, the direct relationship, little investment, of your time will give you little results. Significant investment will give you a much greater result. And there is an inflection point where your investment of uh, the, the, the value you get exceeds your investment. But there's a hump you have to get by, and uh, so most of these platforms, they all tell you it's very easy. They'll show you the demo: one, two, three, click, click, click. It's magic. It's just not so. You're going to probably need a consultant, a HubSpot consultant, somebody to help you implement, somebody to keep you on track, and what you get you get out of the platform. So definitely use market, marketing automation. Uh, But definitely get some help to do it and know that no matter how inexpensive, even if they gave it to you for free, you're going to spend some money to take uh, full advantage of the platform, even at the basic level, just as what it is. It takes time to uh, somebody give you a word processor. It doesn't mean you're going to write a novel easily just because you could type anything. It takes time to take advantage of the tool. All right. Question 14. How can I effectively use analysis or analyze things to make informed marketing decisions? So this is critical. Uh, It gets into a little bit, it crosses over a little bit into like sales management. But one of the best things you could do, especially if you have more than like 10 customers, is analyze your customers. What do I mean by that? Analyze your revenue per customer. Analyze your margin per customer. You may find, especially if you're a contractor, like a a manufacturing contract or contract manufacturer, that your biggest customer, which could be a national name brand that does 60% of your revenue, only contributes 30% of your margin. Because they're big, they can squeeze you on price, they can squeeze you on terms, and you find, boy, not only am I making less margin, I take longer to collect. These are all reality check things that you have to take into account. So analysis helps you decide where should you put more time and energy? And one thing, uh, Richard uh, Koch, uh, the K-O-C-H, he wrote a book called The 80-20 Principle and he wrote a version of that, The Eighty Twenty Sales Principle. And it's just the 80-20, or also known as Pareto's Principle, the Italian mathematician, I guess 200 years ago came up with, was simply that most things accumulate Most results in any system will aggregate to about 20% of the inputs. So 100% of your customers is 100% of your revenue. Makes sense. But 80% of your revenue is probably in just 20% of those customers. The other 80% are generating the other 20%. So if you have a million dollar business, 800,000, 750, somewhere in that area are coming from just 20% of your customers. So if you have 100 customers, just 20 are producing that. But this is also what they call in math, a fractal principle. It means if you reduce it to, to you get to where you can't reduce it below number one, it holds as well. Meaning of that 20% of your customers, and I use the example of 20, that generated 800,000 in your million dollar business, just so you keep the example simple and round. 20% of that 20 Produce 80% of that amount of money, the 800,000. So that's four, just 20% of 20 is four, producing about $640,000 of your revenue. So when you start thinking about it that way, you realize, oh, I have, and you don't go below that because it's too small. But if you had a thousand customers, you could probably do another round where, or just keep following down till you get to the smallest meaningful number. But the point of this is that level of analysis helps you see that where your money is. And and I would say not just revenue, do that exercise across gross margin. That's much more interesting. That's the money you can actually, that that flows into EBITDA and without it, you don't have it. So think about that. That's one thing you could do with analysis. And this is all spreadsheet work. Your CFO, if you have one, a controller, a bookkeeper should be able to help you pull this together. Other metrics that you should look at, is if you're spending money on marketing, we talked about this. um, We went into key metrics, which is question seven in the prior episode. Uh, It will actually help you understand uh, the money into your marketing process and the results you're getting out of it. So those are some things you can do to help you analyze. and, And what you're trying to do is to make some decisions. Where should I spend more money? Where should I spend more time? Do I need to add somebody? If you have an account that's really producing wealth for you and you can't give it sufficient coverage, you may add a headcount or you may move a, a, an experienced headcount into that role and backfill them with somebody else because it's worth doing. If you have multiple product lines, do the same analysis. What product produces what? You may find you're putting a lot of effort into a product that used to sell wealth for you. You thought it was a cash cow, but actually now it's a brain drain. It takes... Energy and passion away from other things, and it's not that productive for you. Maybe you outsource that, or you sell it to somebody. These are all things that a little bit of analysis goes a long way. I'm not talking about hundred-page uh, spreadsheets. I'm talking about a few key numbers, a little bit of uh, spreadsheet slicing and dicing, um, once a quarter, once every six months, will give you deep insights into your business. All right, question 15, and the last question for this segment. What are the current trends and emerging technologies in B2B marketing? Uh, well, the answer certainly is AI is a big thing. People are using AI to help create content, white papers, blog posts, and so on. I, I still would reckon that they should really be cautious because the quality isn't 100%, but it can get you started and uh, either internally or Your agency is using this, for sure, because it helps them move faster through the topic uh, and to develop things. Uh, Certainly all the things in terms of uh, connectivity with uh, bringing everything to a central CRM. So if somebody is reaching you through social media, through email, uh, through a phone call, it's all being coalesced into one place. That used to be the the world of very, very big company technology because you couldn't afford it otherwise. It was millions of dollars of technology. It's still not cheap to do well, as I mentioned in my prior answer, Uh, but it's reachable maybe above that $10 million revenue range, and that's a big round number because you might spend six figures to get it going for you annually. You can decide, is that worth it? Is that worth taking advantage of that kind of technology? But it's not millions. It's tens and tens of thousands, but not millions. And the benefit is if somebody calls your office and anyone answers that number, they can see a complete history of that customer down to what pages on your website they have visited recently. Uh, think about the implications of that. Now, if you say, well, that wouldn't make any difference for us. Then not, don't, don't go down that road. But if it's exciting to you and you're thinking, boy, I could really use that and my team could use that, then those are the opportunities that exist with technology uh, and, and what's out there right now. However, all the technology that's out there is changing fast. A lot of the cutting edge stuff are newer companies that are all like investor backed and so on, but not all of them are going to survive. So one of the things as you move into more and more technology and your technology stack is you need to know how to adapt to the fact that my calendar setting software has gone out of business or got sold into somebody else. So all those things, you're now in a world of managing IT at some level, even though it's not like the old days where you had a glass room with computers, but you're managing a stack that surprisingly, even in a small company could be 10, 15 pieces of software that all have to interact well. So you may need to outsource that as a lot of IT management firms now focus on the SMB category, or you may find somebody recent graduate of a local comp sci program. You're not gonna keep them forever, but maybe you keep them for two years and they help you and then you get the next one and so on. And that may be something you need if you're leveraging that kind of technology. I don't think you, in most cases that you need that much, but you need some things, calendar setting, email, the basic stuff of like either uh, standardizing on the Microsoft product set for sharing documents and stuff, or use the Google suite for the same purpose. Those are all things that work. And it goes without saying some you know accounting software and so on. But those are things that affect B2B marketing uh, greatly. It's visibility, it's access, it's streamlining steps, but there's still a big human factor designing the program, thinking through what you need to communicate, and coming up with good things to say. So on that note, those are questions 11 through 15. Do listen to the prior two, prior couple episodes that uh, covered questions 1 through 10. And next time around, I will cover questions 16 through 20. And uh, hopefully these will be a helpful little repository of things maybe you've been thinking about that you wanted to get some insight from somebody who's been doing this a long time in the market with lots of companies, very much like yours, in that small to mid-market range in B2B. So until we do connect, and again, JosePalomino.com, if you want to speak to me, visit our website at valueprop.com, and certainly uh, subscribe to this uh, show, this Business Growth on Purpose. A lot of great episodes. These are ones where I'm talking directly to you, but we have lots of great guests all the time. There's a deep library of guests that have spoken across this whole range of B2B sales, marketing, strategy, company culture, and how that affects growth. Those are the kinds of things we cover here. And I would love you to just drop me a line, let me know how it's been helpful to you and is there anything I can do for you. So until then, to your success, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth On Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.